What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are coming at you on this Tuesday following Villanova's 88-80 to loss versus Xavier over the weekend. We will be previewing the DePaul matchup at DePaul coming up tonight as you're listening to this nine o'clock cbs sports network game we know a that we tradition unlike any other <laughs> we know that nine we hate o'clock those. road game on cbs sports against DePaul. oh every single january we get it yeah it's either it's either DePaul or st john's it feels like and those games always are more are closer than we want them to be and you kind of think that you can just blow it off because it's on cbs sports network and then something interesting always happens but in line with everything that has happened so far this season for the Cats, coming off of that Xavier loss, it is becoming more and more important to beat the bad teams because this team hasn't been able to go out there and beat a really good one yet. No, they have not. Uh, we talked about it on the last episode where Villanova has shown an ability to hang with good teams this year. And I think we've certainly seen that as we look through some of the results. You know, they they hung with Michigan State. They hung with Oregon. They took out Oklahoma, obviously. They hung with Connecticut. They hung with Marquette. They did the same thing with Xavier, where they had a chance to, to win this thing late. Just the theme from all of those games, other than being able to, to win against Oklahoma, was that they came up short. And it happened again here over this weekend at the Finneran Pavilion. And to your point about... You know, they are really have to take care of business against some of these lesser teams like playing at Paul on Tuesday. They have zero room for error now with mm-hmm. with these losses here against Connecticut, Marquette and Xavier. Those were three very large opportunities for this team to get some sort of marquee win this season. Of course, they did not get any of those. So the only thing they can do is not supplement the uh, inability to get a really good win with a terrible loss, which a loss to DePaul or looking ahead to even Georgetown on MLK Day. Those are obviously just brutal, brutal losses. That's a really good way to say it. Yeah, they definitely, they have that stretch versus Providence at Wells Fargo, at Marquette, at Creighton, where those would be some nice wins. But the margin of error is getting much smaller in a winnable January. You lost the one true marquee opponent. And actually, as I say that, Providence is ranked coming into this week so they have certainly proven themselves hats to be much off more to than, Ed Cooley than a gimme game I mean Bryce Hopkins is one of the best transfers if not the best transfer in the country so far actually Sule Boom is probably I would say there. Sule maybe, maybe yeah. they're one too our yeah. man Sule who we saw it on Saturday but yeah it's uh I have had I think maybe a more positive approach than most about this team's future in the NCAA tournament I had always Really, just maybe naively had the expectation that it was going to turn around. They were going to get some wins. Villanova would make it into the tournament because that's what they always do. And they have backed themselves into a wall. They they really, if it wasn't the case before the Xavier game, it is absolutely the case now that if they do not and go, they don't, if they don't go out and win big road games, they're mm-hmm. not getting into the tournament. They're 0-5 in Q1 wins when it comes to the net rankings. And I think that's, a conversation for either later in this episode or for another time, but they're definitely losing out on, on really big opportunities. And I don't know how many more times we can be happy that they hung in that, that excuse doesn't win out when you're looking for teams to get into the tournament come March. 
No, it's a fine excuse when you're on the road to Michigan State in right. November and the first two weeks with a team missing Justin Moore and, and Cam Whitmore and trying to find itself. It doesn't work for me, though. You're just hanging with teams when you lose to Marquette and, and Xavier than at, at home here. Now, all things stated, too, Xavier is a much better team than Villanova right now. Marquette is a better team than Villanova right now. But those are opportunities, especially at home. They really needed to come away with, with something from that because – I mean, I can't say I feel great about a trip to Pfizer or a trip to Cintas uh, for Nova to be able to get a win with what we've seen from them uh, this season. So the opportunities have most mostly really gone by them at this point. Now, there is that stretch of games that you identified where, hey, they've got a three-game stretch of Providence, Marquette, Creighton. If they can get hot, those are some really good wins to be able to have under your belt, especially with two of those being road games. They just haven't proven to us that they're going to have the ability to win that type of game yet this season so uh, i can definitely say i my expectations are uh, are very low for for how things are going to turn out in march however i don't want to pro- proclaim them uh no chance of getting into the tournament yet however it is most certainly on life support totally so to give you probably one of the mo- the broadest things about this xavier game before we get into the really specific nitty-gritty here pat and i were talking about it a little bit before we hit record so the final score was 88 to 80 Giving up 88 points is pretty extreme, but Xavier is one of the best offenses in the country. I think a lot of the teams that Villanova has played and a lot of the losses that they might have in the Big East is going to come down to, there are just some really good teams in the Big East this year. Marquette is way better than any of us expected. Providence is way better than any of us expected. And you can say the same about Xavier and UConn. Actually, they were in the national conversation, but not nearly as high as they currently are. And then Creighton is somewhere in that mix as well. You just expect Villanova to be able to compete with them. So going back 88, defense has been the issue all year. I actually didn't have a ton of gripes about Villanova's defense in general coming out of this game. You hate giving up that many points, but Xavier is just absurdly good on offense. And then on the offensive side for Nova, you score 80 points. Hmm. Villanova hasn't scored 80 points in quite some time. I'm literally looking back. They they scored 81 at LaSalle. Once. Yeah. And they scored 79 at Iowa State, and that was an overtime game. So if you come away with that 80-point output, I think you feel pretty good. But I actually feel worse about the offense after this game because now this is the third time we've seen it, all in different forms. But they should have won at against UConn. They should have won against Marquette. And they should have won this game because at points they were outplaying the other team. They were asserting themselves from the tempo. They just cannot get more out of anybody not named Eric Dixon, Caleb Daniels. And mm-hmm. Cam Whitmore had a really, really good performance today. But you're starting to see the ceiling or the floor, I should say, of this offense. Because outside of those three guys, you are not getting much production at all. And that worries me about the future of this team. Uh, it's so interesting because I, I still look at the defense here. I, I was encouraged by the offense with them being able to score 80 points. Now you are a million percent right that all of the points basically came from Whitmore, Daniels, and Dixon, and and we really didn't see much. It was eight points combined from Brandon Slater and Chris Archidiakono that I do think we're going to have to discuss. But you know, looking at it first offensively, the last time that Villanova lost and scored 80 or more points in a game, You have to go back almost five years to February of 2018 when they lost 93 to 89 to Creighton. And in that game, Marcus Foster was actually our leading scorer for the Blue Jays at 28 and Jalen Brunson put in 22. 
kind of going to Xavier's talent on offense. Uh, they had four gu- four guys score 10 or more out there on Saturday. And in their last, or excuse me, they have scored over 80 points in eight of their last 10 games. That is incredible to talk about the offensive power that this Musketeers team has in comparison to Villanova, as we just mentioned, has scored now 80 points twice this season as a whole. Now, I think Xavier did a lot of things very well on offense, which allowed themselves to get to the 88 points here. We can certainly go into it a bit. Uh, I also think Villanova didn't help themselves defensively to allow those 88 points. So I, I still think it's that overarching theme that, the big problem for Villanova is they can't defend me or you out there this season. And mm-hmm. especially when you go up against a team as talented as Xavier, as well coached as Xavier, my, may we say as well, with Sean Miller uh, coaching his first game back here against the Wildcats instant two uh, with Xavier. It just, it makes such a difference. Yeah, I guess where I didn't let myself get too entangled, but really should have been a huge positive going into this game was that Xavier has one of the worst three-point defenses that Villanova has seen so far. So, <laughs> it didn't help. <laughs> no, they didn't help them. They still shot nine for 32. They still yeah. had 32 three-point attempts, which maybe, if you're feeling generous, you can excuse in this game because they were trying to exploit Xavier's few weaknesses. They still only put up 28%, which is even below their season average. So That's just, terrible, by the way. Just a, a 28% is awful. I know. I just, I, I think I'm I'm really starting to lose hope and get frustrated. And I think you can hear it in my voice. It's just, I don't know what this team does. You, you have a phenomenal offensive performance from Cam. He does it all. He logs 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. He has 26 points. Dixon has 19. Caleb has another 20 plus point performance. And you're still losing this game. So what more is it going to take? They only got to the free throw line seven times. Yep. They got out assisted 22 to 10. 10 assists on 32 made field goals. I was talking about fundamental basketball last week and how I felt like Villanova had made a stride in that category. But then they reverted back to their old ways because they didn't do one of the few really good things they do well offensively, which is get to the free throw line. And then they let Xavier do that on the other end. So I just, it feels like there's an, we're at an impasse here. They're, they're not making huge strides defensively. They're not making huge strides offensively, aside from Whitmore's ascension in this game, if you want to count that. And I'm just, I'm frustrated, Pat. I, I am too. I also think this is such an interesting episode because we saw the same thing and we just in, interpreted it differently there yeah. on, on offense where, you know, I look at it as the other way where Villanova scored 80 points and they only got to the free throw line seven times. When do you see that from <laughs> wow. this Villanova team? That's where I, so I actually take it as a positive because in most instances, when Villanova is scoring a ton of points, it's because they get to the line, like between 17 and 22 times in that game, they usually make, you know, Uh, They make 84% for the season. There are games where they make well over that as well. So actually only seeing them get there seven times and make all seven, I took as a, a stride forward here. I look at Cam Whitmore and I say he had the career high with 26 points and he was much more aggressive around the basket. I thought the shot selection was a heck of a lot better. He knew let's use that frame. Let's get to the rim. Let's use that athleticism. Let's not just post up from three and take a bunch of shots that are are contested. Uh, I thought Eric Dixon played very, very well on the interior and gave them a, a solid option there. What a lot of it came down to was, as you said, that they, 
they can't make threes and they continue to to shoot them. So it's really frustrating there. And then they didn't get the secondary offensive impact. We knew with Jordan Longino out, this team was going to be stretched for this weekend, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think it's a coincidence that Xavier scores 88 points when Jordan Longino is not able to play. But we look at those guys stepping in for those minutes. You know, Mark Armstrong played 25, Housen 16, and Patterson 12. We were really hoping Armstrong would continue what we saw against Georgetown, which was his best game as a Wildcat. He was not able to make the same sort of impact. Really struggled a little bit with with Xavier's athleticism. Had the three turnovers, even fouled out. I know he was uh, one of the really sacrificial lambs there at the end that was trying to foul Xavier to, to send them to the line, and that's how he stocked those up. But the impact you got off the bench was was not not much um, without Longino there. And I think that was a concern. So I do think they took strides forward on offense. I do, because I, I saw some good things out there. It's just, like I said, they they cannot defend me or you. And, yeah. uh, and that's when you allow 88 points, there's a very, very slim chance you're ever winning that game. Yeah, and I don't want it to get lost at all, too, about how good the Xavier team is. I mean, oh, I... Yeah was optimistic that Villanova had a chance. Maybe I didn't want to fully admit it to myself or to anyone listening on Thursday's episode, but seeing the way that they played, Villanova would have had to play the perfect game to beat this team more, more so defensively. They would have had to score 90 points, which you really can't imagine happening the way you put it. I I guess you're right. You're totally right. That individually, I think a lot of guys showed a lot of potential and if not potential, then just talent because Caleb and, and Dixon certainly don't need to be proving anything at this point in their collegiate careers. I guess it was just the the full transition and how how the game plan worked out that frustrated mm-hmm. frustrated me. It a is bit. frustrating. And then on the defensive end, I also think we talked more about Jack Nunji than Zach we Fremantle. Did. Hello, if, Zach Fremantle. He's back. Apparently, if we had said that that Dixon would have limited Nunji to three of ten from the floor with only seven points and only two rebounds. We would have been psyched, and unfortunately, Fremantle had to go off for 29 points, and that messed things up a little bit. That was as good as I have seen Zach Fremantle in a very long time. Um, now, he he's had some spurts this His sophomore year. season was really good, too. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like We've seen some spurts from him this year, but it, it feels like the Fremantle that we saw when he first burst onto the scene, it, we haven't seen him as much who did did he come out uh, on Saturday? Like just water performance that was with 29 points and 11 boards. He also had four assists to go with it. He controlled this game was the word that, that I would use for him where Xavier felt comfortable getting him the ball in the post, letting him run off motion offense around him uh, through that with some of the shooters they have there. Um, it, it was really, really impressive. And then, you know, down the stretch, he made every single shot that he was asked to, I believe he scored eight straight uh, at some point for, for the Musketeers here down, down the final couple minutes. So, I mean, Zach Fremantle, what a, what a massive game uh, from him. And to your, to your point, it shows the crazy amount of talent that this Xavier team can call on. Oh, does Kobe Jones only have 11 points on five of eight shooting? Let's go to Zach Fremantle who will shoot 12 of 17 <laughs> for, for 29. So I I'm so impressed with this X team and I, I cannot say I painted a Zach Fremantle performance like what we saw. No way. And even their bench, Jerome Hunter and Des Claude have gone off offensively multiple yeah. times this season. And Villanova just happened, even Kai Kai Tandy, they just happened to be really, really quiet. But uh, they got 
11 plus from four out of their five starters. So they were okay. I, I think it was the, the offensive inconsistencies that at times masked the lack of defensive effort around Fremantle, especially because you mentioned about how he hit eight shots, whatever it was, he was able to have a generous amount of range for those shots too. It wasn't like he was completely dominating the rim and was tipping balls back in. He was able to hit some jumpers, hit some mm-hmm. fadeaways. So he was, a- he was able to do really whatever he wanted specifically. Trey Patterson obviously had to step up in Jordan Longino's absence because of that injury. How did you feel like he did defensively? Mixed bag. Uh, I will say in the first half from Trey, I thought that was the best we've seen him play in a Wildcat uniform, which was really, really promising. I thought his movement was better. Uh, He was in better positions. I I thought even the way he moved the ball uh, on offense was just better than what we've seen. The second half kind of reverted to more of what we have seen. Um, from Trey Patterson, where he struggled to imprint in the game. There were a couple of instances where Fremantle did get in front of him on the offensive side of the ball, on the offensive glass and was able to get some rebounds and, and either go up himself or, or create opportunities for some of the other Xavier players. I, it, as I said, it, it's a give and take kind of w- with Patterson here. I think you saw some parts in the first half which made you go, okay, that's exciting. And you see that length and you see a little bit about that speed and say, Whoa, if they can harness that, there's a bit of a player there. But the breakdowns still happen a little too frequently to a point where you understand why he wasn't really seeing minutes before Villanova was forced into needing him to go out there with Brizzy transferring and Longino not being available. Yeah, and even in the second half, you saw that. Yeah, actually, now that you've said that is the first time that I've put that together, what Brizzy's impact might have been. Angelo Brizzy would be playing in this game if yeah. if he did not transfer with Jordan Longino being out. He would have been the the fit, probably, to, to go wow. in there. So it's funny how things work out. Um, Crazy. But uh, instead, it was Trey Patterson's number. So... I agree. I think I think Trey looked really good in the first half. I mean, when was the last time that he logged 12 minutes too, if literally at all, in his entire Villanova career so far? Um, I wanted to mention Brendan Housen because he's been averaging 15-ish minutes. I don't have the exact number off my head, but I feel like it's in that general category, like maybe 12. Uh, well, it's nine and a half, so I guess a little bit late, lower than I've thought. Obviously, because of Longino, you're seeing him a little bit more along with everybody else off the bench. He has not made a three in many games, Pat, many games. And the sh- the shot goes cold. You get that. But he is a liability defensively. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been able to add anything on offense. I'm worried that that's actually becoming more of an issue than it's been, especially if Jordan is going to miss extended time. They need that option from deep. He was shooting 45 plus 47 plus percent from three. He was able to log six points a game. And those two threes would be really helpful. Think about the last few games that they've lost, how close that margin has been. So how big do you think it is that Housen's been so cold lately from three? Well, not only has he been cold from three, he has not scored a point since December 17th, which was the uh, road game to St. Joe's. Now, I think part of that can be that he has not played a ton of minutes since then. Uh, If you combine the St. John's, UConn, and Marquette games, he had played nine minutes total 
across those three games has played 27 now across the last two with Xavier and Georgetown. Now, of course, a part of that being Georgetown was a blowout and the Longino injury and then Xavier uh, factoring in that Longino injury. I do think it's important to be able to have his, you know, three point ability. He is over his last six from beyond the arc, but it's not that he's in a crazy slump. You know, you hear over your last six and say, I've heard worse. And you most certainly have. Uh, it's just more of, we haven't seen him feature as much. And why haven't we seen him feature as much? He has struggled defensively and he has really struggled defensively. This was a game where when Hausen came in, Neptune did not go straight to the zone. Mm -hmm. We have seen that over the last couple games. Literally, the instant he checks in, things switch up to his own, and, and Villanova hasn't been great in that zone recently, so I think that's played into it. He stuck more man-to-man, -man, and for Xavier, where they have so many options that can beat you uh, on offense, this was a tough draw for Hausen. I wonder if you know a part of it lately at least is that he hasn't been able to get into any sort of rhythm because he's had such limited minutes now of course he played 16 minutes and, and wasn't able to to score a bucket here against x but i am curious to see if he gets a little bit more consistent time out there will things get better but on the flip side of that coin is can you afford to have him out there defensively and the issue for Villanova is they may not have a choice right now with how limited that uh, the end of that bench is with guys missing through injury and, and transfer where, yeah, I understand that Brendan Housen can be a certainly be a defensive liability, but you know how many guys are really available depending on the severity of Longino's injury. So it's a, it's a very tricky situation that they get put in. Yeah. And that, that's exactly the question and not even bodies available, but how many guys are you confident are going to make that three? The the answer is getting more and more limited as these games go on and these numbers can, can continue to compile. Yeah, I think maybe this was the one game that Nep that Neptune should have stuck to the zone just because of how many mismatches there were for Xavier to exploit. Yeah, but oh, it was so good. Of course, they also would have shot out of that zone extremely quickly. So. <laughs> most likely, most likely. 2020 hindsight. I do have to say, and this is again a, like a coaching masterclass from uh, Sean Miller. The ability to exploit mismatches here with Villanova, they ran it from the first possession. They had Villanova on a string in terms of switches and getting the matchups that they wanted to. Nova struggled a little bit rotating, getting over uh, through uh, some different screens. Uh, Xavier was able to get better matchups underneath the basket, especially for Fremantle, as we saw. I mean, this was just really a, a phenomenal offensive performance not just from Xavier and that all oh, the the shots were falling it was how everything was drawn up was was really to a T now I know you've heard me talk up Sean Miller from the first um you know episode of this season and I think he has only really lived up to that and then some with how much of an impact he's had because this Xavier team when they are humming they are a very very difficult out for anyone in the country oh yeah I mean they were making Eric Dixon look lost on defense and that does not happen very often at all and that I, I mean it feels like you could just put it on repeat about the way that everybody's talking about Xavier but they hurt you from so many different ways like you mentioned Colby Jones didn't even play that well <laughs> he's such a stud too but he still was five for eight from the floor and it didn't even matter they just have so many different guys Kunkel hit those threes boom is going to the line 10 times Fremantle was a machine they've got bench options it's just they are such a well oiled machine it doesn't seem like they make a ton of mis self-inflicted mistakes even though they did turn the ball over a lot it's funny that's actually one of the weird idiosyncrasies about this team they do turn the ball over a lot but they're so good offensively that it seems like they're able to mask that pretty well 
you can make up for 14 turnovers when you shoot 54% as a team and 47% from funny. Three. Yeah. Crazy how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, just, I am really interested in this episode from the both of us. You can tell that we obviously did not discuss what we were going to say beforehand. Yeah, it's more fun that way. Totally. Because I saw those percentages, obviously didn't fall in love with them. I watched this game, didn't fall in love with Xavier scoring 88 points. But I, I guess my main takeaway was that Xavier was was more good than Villanova was bad defensively. Not perfect, mm-hmm. not great, but Xavier just impressed me so wholly that I couldn't get past it, I guess. Uh, I think that's a fair conclusion, too, is just yeah. how, how talented they are. We, we've we definitely talked up Xavier, so I, I'm actually not sure I can talk too much more um, mm-hmm. about them. I think I've, I've uh, passed the quota at this point. Um, but I am interested kind of in your thoughts here. We did mention it. You know, Villanova only eight total points from Brandon Slater and Archie Diakono. How concerned are you in, in that aspect? I'm concerned about Slater. I, I think I am too. That's the one I look at from it too. Yeah, I, I actually think we haven't talked about Arch a lot this season, which is a good sign for him. He we've mentioned it when he's had a, a couple stretches. I can't remember the game specifically off the top of my head, but where he had good performances. Saint Joe's. He has had yeah, Saint Joe's. He's had solid defensive too performances. He's not lighting up the scoreboard by any means, but. He takes charges. He forces turnovers. He doesn't turn the ball over himself. He does a lot of fundamental things well. I didn't have, of course, this wasn't his best game by any stretch, but I didn't have as many issues in him just because I have such higher expectations for Slater offensively. And I just can't get the potential out of my head about how much better this team could be. And the team last year when Slater is humming. And yes, you look at the box score and think that he took 11 shots, and that's more than most, I think. But he took six threes. And I just, I don't know if where the direction is coming from for that to happen, especially because he is so talented from the free throw line that I wish every single time he got the ball, he just drove for contact. Because that would be better than putting up six three-point attempts, making one of them, and then not really having any aggression with the ball. It's not like he was great around the rim either, but he it doesn't feel like his strengths are being utilized the right way in this offense, especially in an offense that is weak from three-point land. Last year, everybody's shooting threes well. Maybe you excuse that. This year, why aren't they using the strengths of Slater inside? Mm. I, You know how much it pains me to say this because I have been one of Brandon Slater's absolute highest supporters ever since he came onto campus here but this season I actually do find him to be the most disappointing Villanova player um for I I expected a lot more from him and it's because this team needed a lot more than him we talked about it how that role has to change and he's been more of a a secondary piece uh, on a lot of these Villanova teams and this year especially when Whitmore was out and, and while Villanova has still struggled even with Cam in you needed more um from from Slater here and to your point I'm very curious why the the threes continue to go up at, at the fashion that they do. He's proven before he can hit them. You know, just a couple of years ago, he shot over 40% from three. Now it wasn't the same uh, volume as we see now, but but we know he can do it. To your point, I mean, I, I, I'm just so interested why he hasn't tried to take that Jermaine Samuels role as kind of the true power forward type um, that can stretch the floor a little bit, but really makes his living down low and try to use his footwork and his strength 
we just haven't seen it there. And, and I think this Nova team has, has desperately needed it. Uh, defensively, he's still very good. Don't get me wrong. Um, and that's, of course, the most important thing that Brandon Slater brings. But I also don't think it's been exceptional, you know, in a way that we've sometimes seen from Slate this year. So I, I'm disappointed in him just because I, I think we've seen that he can do more here. And for a team that really has struggled to hit their stride, they they need him. Yeah, the defensive assignment for this game specifically, I noticed right away. Maybe this had to do with sizing because Xavier is so unique with those two really talented big men. But Whitmore drew the assignment on Boom and Jones at times. And there was definitely a scenario even earlier this season where Slater would have drawn the number one defensive assignment. So I actually had that same type of thought that you had where He's always been heralded for his defense. And you're right. That is much more important than what he can bring offensively as much as we all need to see that. But I I also don't feel like it has been exceptional from him defensively. And the thing that's the most disappointing is that he's so gritty. He's so physical. He's an above average offensive rebounder. He's done things for this team that no other player can do. And you're right. It's fine that he's shooting threes. None of us have had any problem with it. We were calling for him to shoot more threes at points last season. Mm-hmm. And I think it keeps defenses honest. I don't think that you can be a player of his size and not have that in your arsenal. But it's just because we know how much he can change a game around the rim. And he seems to be actively choosing not to do that. That's what's hard to reconcile for me slasher brandon slater is the best version of brandon slater and it's just it's not something that we've seen enough of this year and i i do think a lot of that just comes down to villanova has been reluctant to try and play run games and run offenses through the post whether it be either eric dixon facilitating or finding a guard to be able to do the classic back down uh, that we have seen so many times over the last couple years and run through there and try to hit guys either slashing or cutting to the three-point line this the team just hasn't fit that and i think that that's been a, a big reason why you haven't seen it take that um approach on archidiacono though just a, a quick note um and it's something that uh will certainly split uh our listeners as we hear but uh for the second time this season and the first time in a close game mark armstrong had more minutes than chris archidiacono so the the only other game that that's happened thus far was boston college and that was of course a a blowout at the prudential center where mark had played a a really good game so Interested to see what the minutes distribution looks like going forward um, and and to see if that's something we start to see trend a little bit more in Mark's favor, or this was just an instance of, you know, he had played really well against Georgetown. Let's see what this kid can do against some high-powered Big East competition. Yeah, and obviously three minutes here isn't a ginormous difference, but I really like that you noticed that. And I have been completely in disagreement with Kyle Neptunes at times as we go towards the final minutes of a game with Armstrong on the bench and Arch in. And I am a Chris Archie Diacono supporter. I think he brings a lot to this team, especially this year. I think he really turned things around and has been able to bring tangibly good things to this offense or or offense and defense. And definitely at points last year, we were searching for that answer. But when you are down at the end of a game, I am not sure why Chris continues to be that first option because this team already struggles offensively and Armstrong and Housen even. I'm still calling for Housen at the end of the game when they need a bucket, even though he's, yeah, maybe I was a little too harsh about that 0 for 6 stretch. Well, but... um, No, your point still stood because it had been a month since he scored. (laughs) When you put it like that, though. But yeah, I, I think 
I hope that this is a trend. Let's just say that because I do think what Armstrong can bring offensively is just a higher ceiling for this team than what Arch brings. I do too. Uh, let's save the late game substitution conversation for another day because i honestly think we could go off on 15 or 20 minutes on that yes. one and there will be time um to discuss it but let's just say i am in your corner um uh, with, with that one as well um anything else you really want to hit on xavier before we move to DePaul? i had kind of a perfect segue about playing in the post so i yeah. kind of want to go on that but i do just want to amend i do want to mention again whitmore has struggled in the past few games this really felt like a good move in the opposite direction I feel good about what I saw from Cam Whitmore out there. This was all the athleticism. This was the skill. Uh, He got to the basket at will. Uh, He finished around the basket, too, in a a couple different ways. He still was able to hit threes. I thought he impacted the game on defense. This was the Cam Whitmore that I think a lot of us were expecting, and it's why you can can be frustrated when he takes nine threes and they're all pull-ups and you're saying, what is going on there? You can be frustrated when he turns the ball over, but we know that that talent is in there, and it absolutely came out on saturday there just there wasn't enough around him to be able to help the cats go to victory totally and again savior by far the biggest opponent that he's played so far yeah caleb yukon yeah take that <laughs> uh caleb also with with that 23 points so this kind of goes into the the playing in the post point anyway because they're going up against depaul on tuesday night one and four in conference they got crushed by providence and creighton they only lost by eight to a not very good Butler team, and then they beat Georgetown. That's their only win. For DePaul, they take some of the least amount of twos in the country. Two-point distribution is incredibly low. So you know that they're going to be spread out. It's so bizarre. <laughs> but they also have a very bad three-point defense. So you expect Nova to take advantage, like they tried to do against Savior. I hope that in these next few games, of course, no biggies game is a gimme, but I would like to see Kyle Neptune try and experiment with playing more of a post game. Do you think there is any chance, any possibility that we see it move in that direction? Because you're not going to experiment against Xavier. I get it, but it just feels like there's an opening against DePaul to do that. And you might as well try it. I mean, I hope so. I I can put it that way. I, w- I would like to see them try and run things more through the interior and see if they can get things started. I'm not sure if they're going to do it in this game just because, as you referenced, DePaul is 300th in the country in, in three-point shooting defense. And from how Villanova has played this season, it makes me think they're going to lick their lips and say, ooh, this is an opportunity for us to really get right from three. Now, I don't really care how other teams have been defending from three because Villanova has not shown the ability to really knock down a ton of threes. So even with that, I would still like to see them, um, you know, run through the pain a little bit more and continue with that approach, get to the foul line, all those things we like to talk about here. I'm just not confident that that is the the route we're, we're going to see. Do you want to play the game of over-under three-point attempts? Love that. Yes. Well, what said 25 and a half. Oh, I don't know how you can go under, to be honest. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I still say over. That feels like an obvious line. Yeah. I, I think, like, honestly, 28. That seems fair. Yeah. See, I would be thrilled if Villanova finished this game with, like, 21. Yeah. No, I would too. I just made 10 of them. Ooh, wouldn't that be a nice night? That's they're not going to happen. They're in a spot but... where. Ham and Dixon and Slater, who, yes, has offensive issues right now, but you know he can do it. 
have been good from down low. But then at the same time, Caleb has also had two of his better three-point performances in the last two games. So I can't really see him going down from, was that two straight 13-point attempts? Um, 13 three-point attempts? I think it was uh, six for 13 against Georgia. pretty close right? if it's not. Yeah. yeah, I think you might be right there. So 26 three-point attempts in the last two games. Can't imagine that's going to get cut down significantly when that is the one thing that's working right now. So probably not, but they're to, definitely in that awkward point there to what we're discussing here. DePaul is a smaller team than Villanova um, average height wise. So, and that doesn't happen very often because we know Villanova is not very big, especially in the front court. I mean, the, the biggest guy you're going to see is DePaul comes in with a center at six ten that can most certainly impact games on the defensive side. He doesn't really, he is certainly not, you know, a guy like a, a Jack Nungy or an Adama Sanogo on, on the offensive side of the ball. And I understand that's a very nice comparison because those guys are so ridiculously talented, <laughs> but you get my point there. Um, so I, I would love, love, love to see Eric Dixon and this be the Eric Dixon game and really mm-hmm. see him just go to work down low and, and then try and you know see if slater plays a little bit more in the post and if you know maybe if they're able to establish a little bit more of a post game then the three is just a bit more open for once um so i i think it's something that we can look at here and, and maybe villanova will try and exploit it just we know how they've played this year um so that's where it leads me into uh questioning if that's what we'll truly see yeah and this is an interesting depaul team they 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 lost their top three scores and three of their top four or five minutes leaders. They lost Javon Friedman Liberty, who was probably the best scorer in the conference last year. David John, David Jones to St. John's and then Brandon Johnson, who was a nice size piece down low Mm -hmm. for them. So they're an older team. They have, I believe it's four seniors starting for DePaul, but they're not experienced when it comes to minutes played kind of. I thought you were going to say they're not good. I'm like, yes, you are correct. (laughs) No, I think it's really interesting. They're 28th in the country in D1 experience, but they're 293rd in minutes continuity. So we've talked about how the role players for Villanova last year, how they've had to step up into a more central role. That is that to the nth degree at DePaul, and they're just not as talented as the players Villanova has on their roster. They're so experienced because they have three sixth-year seniors. Yeah. So... (laughs) That helps um, in the uh, experience portion, Um, but no, you're definitely right, and you hit the nail on the head where this is a very different DePaul team than what we have seen recently. You know, Javon Freeman Liberty was an absolute stud, and I loved watching him play. Uh, They only returned 37% of their scoring from that roster from a year ago, so Javon Johnson now in year six uh, for them. Yes, he is. Um, is their leading scorer, and he can really hurt you with over 41% from three. Um, Emoji Gibson, as well as a transfer from Oklahoma, he can also score. Uh, his issue is really he averages over three turnovers per game, which is, of course, as we know, uh, absolutely killer. And then a guy that's just, it's been so interesting because it had a lot of fanfare going in, and I think so many people were intrigued by how this happened in the first place. Zion Cruz, if you remember that name, as a freshman. He's a four-star recruit. He was the 77th ranked freshman in the country coming into this year. And I, I there was a ton of interest, myself included, in how this guy was going to go at DePaul. Now, for, for more context there, he had offers from North Carolina, Oregon, UConn, Ohio State, and he ended up at DePaul. It's really been a struggle for him. He has 
He hasn't been able to find a way to carve a role for himself. Minutes-wise, he's had nine games where he's held scoreless. He only shoots 30% uh, from the field thus far, but a pretty highly regarded freshman. You wonder if at some point he's going to start to put things together here and see if they can develop some young talent because, as we just discussed, this DePaul team is mostly some guys that have been in college basketball for a very long time. So it's an interesting blend. It's not a blend that has worked particularly well thus far this season with them being seven and nine and their best win coming against Minnesota earlier in the season and their only big East win coming against Georgetown here. Um, But with all of that going into it, like quite simply, this is a game that Villanova has to win under every single circumstance. Oh, by, by far. And they're not a good offensive team either. And I also think that Villanova has the chance to assert themselves offensively and maybe again based off the conversation we just had maybe you don't see this in the same vein that I do but something else that worried me about Villanova's offense against Xavier is that they can't go point for point with teams anymore they had some really nice offensive possessions and then but uh Butler Xavier was able to answer right away whether it was Boom or Fremantle or the other litany of weapons that they have on that roster so Nova can't play the let's just score more than the other team approach because they don't have the type of offense to do that. I'm hoping against DePaul and against Georgetown and then maybe even against Butler and St. John's that they're able to really get some some steam under them offensively, get out to that fast start that seems to evade them game after game after game and take advantage of DePaul's bad defense and what your point about DePaul's roster construction, I think Tony Stubblefield almost wished that he could just have a clean slate this season because <laughs> DePaul was decent last year. I wasn't psyched to play Javon Freeman Liberty and, and, and David Jones, and they had a couple other good weapons. Now it just feels like, as opposed to having a really young team that he can mold and build upon, it's been backlogged by a bunch of ineffective upperclassmen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a year ago they beat Xavier, Seton Hall, uh, and Marquette. Yeah. You know, all in all, not in, a bad team. All in conference play, which are obviously very solid wins. This is not that same DePaul team. This is a worse DePaul team uh, with, with you know those top options out there. So Villanova just has to take advantage of it, um, and quite simply, they they must win this game. And um, DePaul is not particularly good either on the offensive side or the defensive side of the ball. I have to, I know we've been saying it, but I have to see a step forward on defense against a team that just, this isn't Xavier. This isn't Marquette. This isn't UConn that Villanova has faced. They have to play a much more clean defensive game here and and start to try to get a role there if they want to find any way to be able to create the momentum to have some sort of tournament push. Yeah, I agree. It feels like whenever I check Kempom, it's always the offensive fluctuating by like three or four and then the defense just progressively going further and further and further. I'm still honestly a little bit surprised by how high the offense has been ranked all season long. Yeah. And it's currently 25 and the defense is 121. I think 25 is generous for this offense. I, but, I would agree with you. But yeah, he would like to see some some serious movement on that defensive end. And I think it, it just it involves a wire to wire win. That'd be nice. Has Villanova had a wire-to-wire win all season long? Maybe LaSalle? Probably LaSalle, but otherwise, there weren't too many. No. We we talk talk in circles about... Yeah, true. That was a a big time win. We talk in circles about them dominating and them getting out to a fast start and 
I feel like you say it a lot. They they haven't proven that they can do that. And yes, that's true. But at some point, they do have to show that they can beat up on the bad teams. <laughs> you hope at and some point. This, this feels like a good opportunity to prove that they can do that. I would say fair enough. So, but, uh, yeah, uh, excited to watch the Cats on a Tuesday night here, a late Tuesday night, and uh, and see if they can take care of business and, and try, try and create some momentum before a date in our favorite house of horrors of Hinkle on Friday nights. I'm going to say a 10 plus point win, Pat. Wow. I love it. I love that confidence. I think Villanova wins. I, you're not going to pin me to a, uh, a score, but <laughs> <laughs> I do think the cats win on Tuesday night. Yeah. Let's get, let's get a few games back. Let's get on the positive side of 500. Let's go into that Providence Marquette Creighton stretch and, and get some gears moving a little bit. I saw some good things on offense on Saturday. Keep that flowing into this DePaul game and let's defend a little bit on yeah. Tuesday night. Uh, not asking for too much. No. You, you want to finish with just three notes here before we uh, we wrap up? Yes, definitely. So first off, uh, this is still a developing story, of course. But Kyle Neptune did have some media availability today. We didn't get a full update on Jordan Longino. But he did say that it doesn't sound like Longino will be playing uh, this week, though he may be making the trip uh, to Chicago and then to Hinkle for this weekend. However, the part that really stood out to me was that he specifically mentioned that the school would be putting out a statement over the next couple days, and that's according to uh, Jeff Nyberg there. Doesn't make me feel great when I see the words, the school will be putting out a statement in the next couple days. How do, how do you take that? Not well. Like, yeah, it feels like not. there's a serious thing that needs to be said, as opposed to just an injury update. Yeah, I feel like this has become a really interesting, unique scenario that, it didn't feel like it was at the beginning or maybe when it happened, we felt like it was a huge deal. Oh, and yeah. then based on his reaction, coming back, sitting on the bench, laughing, we walked it back a little bit and didn't think it was as bad. But then he got an MRI late. He wasn't even at the game at Xavier like, or against Xavier. And now it doesn't look like he is likely to play at DePaul. So definitely not a great sign. I don't think you can feel super confident about what this looks like for Longino. No, I think he's definitely out this week. And if there's any conclusion to be made, it's that we still know absolutely nothing yeah. uh, about it other than uh, it doesn't look like he's ready to come back anytime soon here. And, and hopefully we find out more, but the statement, the, just the idea of a statement coming out certainly makes me nervous. So definitely. hoping, you know, hoping for the best for Jordan. I know the poor kid struggled with, with leg and, and knee injuries since he basically got to Villanova. So just hope for the best there and we'll see what news comes out. Yeah. Such a bad break and this team really needs them. So I, I really yes. hope he gets some good news soon. Yes, they do. Uh, we move to good news then after that news, uh, we're going to stick with Villanova, but move to the women's side of things where the superstar of the Villanova program in, in Maddie Seagrass scored 36 points yesterday. And not only did she score 36 points yesterday, but with those 36 points, she passed UConn's Maya Moore for fifth in the all-time Big East women's basketball scoring list. Maya Moore, Maddie Seagrass, has just eclipsed. I mean, I, I feel like what else is there for us to say about Seagrass at this point? She's now second on the Villanova all-time scoring list, men's and women's, and she's probably going to become that leader very, very soon. But to pass a, you know, a basketball legend like Maya Moore, I, 
you kind of run out of adjectives to describe <laughs> a Seagrist at this point. I mean, to be spoken in the same sentence as Maya Moore is pretty unbelievable. Not bad, and right? The thing I was going to say was that you actually can say something else because she recently passed Carrie Kittles. So now there's only she one did. left. It's there's just left. Shelley Pennefather. And it's close. It's not totally out of the realm of possibility. So what? No, I, she's going to do it. Yeah, well, it's it's absolutely unbelievable. It deserves so much national recognition. I do feel like a lot of the Villanova talk has been centered around her this season, which I think is so, so well-deserved and, and very cool. But what a phenomenal story to watch. Yeah. Seriously is. And then we wrap things up here with some late breaking news as we wrap up the podcast here. Jalen Brunson scored 44 tonight for the Dicks. Let's go. So, uh, Nova Nation, you know, we can still feel good about our NBA guys. Um, so really healthy. They lost, meaning the Knicks, but we don't have to worry about that. This is a Villanova <laughs> podcast, not a Knicks podcast. So oh. <laughs> sorry, Eugene. But no, cool. I like the the progression of good news there. Hopefully we're only getting more in the future. News and notes. News and notes is how we yeah. decide to end this episode. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com all season long to keep you covered on all your Villanova content. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. We will be back at it on Thursday. Everyone enjoy the game on Tuesday night. Let's root the cats into a win at DePaul and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.